So this week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Trishina Kills Pretty Enemy. Trish is an enrolled member of the Absoluka Absoluka Crow Tribe and part Hunk Papa Lakota. She's a senior within the Microbiology and Immunology Department, and she'll be graduating with a bachelor's in science or a bachelor's in science degree in microbiology uh, just in a couple days, actually. She took a class with Native American Studies Department titled Native Food Systems. And in this episode, she brings her culture and scientific knowledge to the effects of dynamic change on native food systems. And so since we're going to be talking about food systems, we thought it would be a good idea to include a definition. So what is a food system? A food system is an indigenous community's foods, food traditions that are essential to that tribe's identity. Traditional food and food preparation are integral to many native ceremonies and social gatherings. For American Indian populations, preparation of food has always and remains important sources of spirituality and community. Indigenous food systems vary by region and include all of the land, air, soil, and culturally important plants, animals, and fungal species that have sustained Native people for thousands of years. We talk about colonialization and how devastating that was to these traditional food systems affecting societies, cultures, and mortality. Government rations, otherwise known as commodities, were given to tribes, and this has led to some of the world's worst health outcomes. So you go by Trish. Your last name is Kills Pretty Enemy. Yep. Um, where did you grow up, and what are you studying here at MSU? So I grew up on the Crow Reservation. My mom is Crow, but I'm also part Lakota. My dad's from the Standing Rock Reservation in South Dakota. So I grew up on the reservation in Pryor, and I went to Little Bighorn College on the Crow Reservation and got my associates in biology and just got really fascinated with biology. And when I looked at studies that I wanted to do here, I really fell in love with microbiology, the world of the unseen, and that's what I'm studying, microbiology mm. and immunology, and I'll be mm. getting my degree next Saturday, May 5th. <laughs> it's just crazy to think about. That's exciting, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have two little boys, is that correct? Or correct. Nice. A five-year-old and a seven-year-old. Nice, nice. How crazy is that, trying to manage and balance work and school? It was intense at first, you know, just growing up, like, on the reservation and, like, seeing all the poverty and, like, alcohol abuse and, um, to be totally honest, you know, I had a problem with alcohol as well, you know, but in August, I'll be eight years drug and alcohol free. And that's just, like, a really big step for me and, you know, just trying not to listen to all the negative facts and believe that I can. If other people can do it, I can do it. And just seeing like hope stories everywhere of moms who like of like five or six kids graduating from law school, medical yeah. school even, you know, and just always just believing in myself that I can. Yeah. That's amazing. I had to fight a lot of those feelings over the past four years I've been here, you know, but just thankful for places like Trio and Empower and the American Indian Center here on campus for like just yeah. seeing in me what I couldn't see in myself. So Right. That's yeah. why I'm here. <laughs> well, I just have to like 
begin by complimenting you, everyone I talk to about you or like mention, you know, I mentioned to a couple of people like, yeah, I'm like sitting down with Trish and we're going to talk about the human gut microbiome and Native American health disparities and food systems. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what? You're going to talk to Trish? Like, she's so cool. She's so badass. Like, have fun. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. So nice. I, you know, I think you have a lot of people behind you who believe yeah. in you. And mm-hmm. you're an inspiration to other people as well. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get told those things. That it's hard to be <laughs> humble sometimes. <laughs> no, but yeah, that's nice. So to move on to our topic, I talked a little bit last episode. I talked with um, Seth Walk and the human oh, cool. gut microbiome. Yeah, my first lap PI here at MSU. <laughs> yep. But um, I think it's really important to cover Native American health and yep. the health disparities that occur yep. there. And you have some great insight into food systems and the microbiome and Native American health all tied into one. I wouldn't say I'm ex- an expert just to say, you know, <laughs> I'm like just taking like courses of intro into Native American studies yeah. in this class and not really like understanding the impact of what reservations did or even what a reservation was, you know, like growing up, like I grew up on the res, you know, but... I never really understood what that meant until college and taking these classes and learning about the time since Columbus and Europeanism, like colonization Mm -hmm. and just everything, you know. Hmm. There's no light bulb as to why there's so many health disparities on the reservation today. And I want to kind of start with this definition of a food system. Like, what is a food system? What does that term entail? So again, I'm not an expert, (laughs) you know, but... I'm currently I'm taking an indigenous food systems class and I never realized how important indigenous food systems were. Food is like the number one thing that everybody needs for survival, right? And being on my ancestors being on this land for thousands and thousands of years, food was wasn't just a means for sustenance. But it was also, it provided cultural and spiritual values. We respected every living thing on this land. The animals, rocks even are sacred. Mm-hmm. You know, the water, the life, all the life forms we respected. Like mm-hmm. with the deepest, you know, respect there was. And whenever we hunted, whenever we gathered, you know, we did it in a spiritual, prayerful manner, you know, giving gratitude and thanks for the food that we have and just respect for life and not just the spiritual aspect but cultural you know when the young kids would gather or hunt with the elders of the tribe or the people that could you know through these things they told stories and through these stories it was that's how we passed down our traditional ecological knowledge Mm -hmm. so do you get what I'm saying you know like there's like it's not just sustenance but it's like way more bigger than that spiritual cultural how like we had fun you know and it provided like our good healthy aspects our health and it also helped us because there's a lot of exercise that had to go into it so having to exercise you know provided endurance provided strength you know provided knowledge and just that community, which is another important aspect, Mm -hmm. like incorporated community. Everyone had to work together Mm -hmm. to survive and not just survival, but family. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So growing up, what 
like did you grow up with traditional food or and see that's the thing that's why I talked about in the beginning you know I didn't realize reservation life or any of that until I came to MSU my very first class here I took intro into Native American studies Mm -hmm. and I remember my professor at the time Meg Singer she was teaching that class. She's um, from the Diné tribe in Arizona, and she asked the whole class. So I was probably like the only native, and the rest were non-natives. And she was like, "What is your traditional foods that you guys did?" And we had to do a write-up. And mine was like fry bread. Like my earliest memories of just everyone being at my grandma's house, and she made fry bread, probably like deer meat, and the men in our family would hunt deer meat. And I just remember like trips in the summer to the mountains doing berry picking, you know, mm-hmm. but. Over time, you know, especially taking my indigenous food system class, I realized that that is not our traditional food. Fry bread's not traditional Native American food? No, it is not. (laughs) Like, I guess what is then? What is considered traditional? Does it vary? I'm sure it varies by tribe then, right? Yep. There are tribes all over the continent. There are different ecosystems all over the continent. Arizona, like where my professor was from, is like the desert. And yeah. I think what they harvested a lot was corn. Mm. I think it could be wrong. Yeah. The East Coast tribes, you know, like they had a lot of forests, so animals yeah. and like acorns. East Coast tribes or West Coast tribes, you know, along the ocean. Like people in Alaska, they were next to the ocean, so they would harvest like whales and seals and just all the different mm. animals in the water as well as some land animals like caribou and deer. Yeah. And I didn't know that. Like, I never stopped to think about that because growing up on the reservation, you know, like, not just trying to talk about the stink of it, but this is all I knew, you know. Yeah. Going to basketball games and McDonald's is a very big common thing that my family would take me to. And it wasn't until Bozeman, you know, looking at all the how healthy people were and like I had a mentor who was like really strong and to her like diet you know she mm-hmm. eats all organic foods and goes to the co-op a lot yeah. you know and would only eat grass range fed animals and it wasn't until here I'm like oh McDonald's isn't mm-hmm. a normal daily practice you know because back home we have that on the reservation and where I went to high school was Hardin, right yeah. on the border of the reservation, and there was McDonald's. Yep. Easy to grab, just $1 meals, and just things like that, and yeah. fry bread. <laughs> <laughs> did your, um, was your family very healthy, or did your, did your family members suffer from any, like, chronic diseases, like? Nope. My very first memory was going to a funeral. My very first memory, and throughout my lifetime, there's always like that constant thing to go to a funeral. And again, you know, it wasn't until college that I really understood that the impact of Native American health disparities. Like, mm-hmm. so many people are dying even now. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, you know, like my grandfather, he had diabetes. My grandmother had diabetes. My dad had diabetes, cardiovascular diseases cancer Mm. runs in my family and we all don't really live very long Mm. my grandpa I never got to meet him he passed away when my mom was 11 and he died of a cardiovascular disease at age 50 
my grandmother diabetes at between age 50 and 60. Over the course of my school year, you know, four years here at MSU, I've lost people. My very first semester, my dad passed away at the, at the age of 62, 63, diabetes. I lost a brother-in-law not too long after that to a car crash and alcoholism. Another uncle to diabetes again. And then like relatives who were in their 30s to like car crashes and alcoholism. So I would say we're not very healthy. And through this podcast, I hope to change the minds of people back home and everywhere else to see that it's an epidemic that needs to be addressed and that more research needs to be done on all of these things. And like statistically, Native Americans only represent 2% of the U.S. population, yet we suffer from diabetes. It's two or three times higher than the U.S. population who are not Native Americans who are white. Same mm. with suicide rates, same with alcohol and drug abuse, same with cardiovascular diseases. It's just everything we're... Yeah. Why is that, you know? Yeah. And it goes back to our traditional food systems and the disconnection between that. Right. Because the chronic diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, stroke, cancer, all of those diseases have foundational causes in mm -hmm. the diet, nutrition, and metabolism of food. Yes. It only and then our sense. social and our emotional, yeah. our spiritual well-being is all connected to our food, our traditional food systems. Right. And we were even talking a little bit earlier on how central food is to a culture mm -hmm. and to people's identity and, um, you know, how essentially fry bed isn't exactly an identity, you know, yep. like that's, that's not something that's technically a true traditional Native American food. Mm -hmm. um, how much research is being done on Native American health? Because to me, that seems like a huge, like a huge red flag. Like yep. you have this population that is, you know, at this high risk of all these detrimental diseases. Mm -hmm. So we should be researching it and seeing what is causing it. So how much research is being done on Native American health? Not a lot. And the best way I could tell you is through like my own experiences and how I've realized that fact so when I started school here, you know, I worked with Colostrum Difficile with Dr. Seth Walk. And, you know, that was, wasn't related to Native American health disparities. And the reason why I started school is I wanted to address those because of the mm -hmm. death of my father and, you know, all my family members who are passing away at young ages, 50, you know, there should be, I should have met my grandfather, you know. Mm -hmm. He should have had a life expense expectancy of up until like 90 years old you know what I mean mm -hmm. so that was the main motivation to do research and through doing my research here at MSU through the NB research program I got connected to research in Salt Lake City Utah in the summer of 2017 and that's where I was able to really look at the statistics mm -hmm. against Native Americans 
and like the high chronic prevalence of these diseases. And that's what really woke me up. I was doing research on congenital heart diseases. And in order to tie my research to Native American health disparities, which is what this internship was all about, it was the Native American research internship at the University of Utah within the Pediatric School of Medicine. And the research that I was involved in was already set. But when I looked at the research of where we're at cardio, like in cardiovascular disease, like it was very difficult to find one piece of the information that I found, which was that Native Americans are 8% more higher than non-natives to acquire congenital heart disease just that one little line Mm. and that made me think I was like man there really is not a lot of research done for Native Americans and it's important because like our genetics are completely different than all other ethnicities and that's what my lab mentor in Utah like helped me to see and then I'm at the end of my microbiology tract and I want to get a PhD. I want to get a doctorate and it's horrible. Yeah. I think the silver lining to, you know, the death of so many family members Mm -hmm. and the death of your grandparents early and the death of your, or your grandfather early and the death of your dad during your undergrad is that you're here and you and you get to be the voice for them, and you get to be an advocate for research for those very conditions that took them. Yep. And I just have to say, like, I'm sorry for your great <laughs> loss. Like, it's not fair. I think your passion for research for Native American, mm-hmm. like, health disparities and food systems is really, really beautiful. And I'm interested to hear how... How did Native American movement onto being forced onto reservations, how does that play into health disparities today? Ooh, that plays into it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And the biggest thing is what I didn't really understand was the word colonization Mm -hmm. or colonialism. And, you know, like I hear Natives talk about it all the time, but I never really understood what that meant. And colonialism is... The policy or practice of acquiring full or partial control over another country, occupying it with settlers, and exploiting it economically. And the key word that I see in that definition is control. Mm. And colonization on America had devastating effects on indigenous people all over this continent, from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast in California, Canada, and Alaska. And it affected everything, all social, political, and economic levels. Before taking my indigenous food systems class, I never understood that a part of this conquest, the primary tool that colonizers used was food. Why food? Food because it's the basic necessity of life Mm -hmm. to survive is food. And might be going a little bit off topic, but I remember doing research when I was researching this topic and you hear about European diseases like the bubonic plague and all these like like cholera that killed a lot of Europeans, you know, but the reason why that they were able to retaliate back from that is because their food system was always constant. 
But when colonizers came to the U.S., the whole purpose was to find gold, to settle down. But then, oh, we had all these Indians, and that's when we became the Indian problem. That's when all the long train of warfare, disease, and massacres started to kill indigenous people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And looking at some of these documents, it's just straight up horrific. I was looking, studying the gold rush in California, and it really hit me on emotional, like an emotional like level, because I have two children who are five and seven years old, like I mentioned earlier, and reading actual documents and reports of the U.S. government who would massacre countless tribes over stupid things, you know, because they wanted our land and they called us savage. We weren't good enough. You know, our ways weren't good enough. It didn't look like European ways, but we loved the land. You know, like I said, we had a deep respect for all living things. Mm -hmm. And when we took things from the land, we made sure that we never overtook so that everything can replenish, everything could grow, and that we would be fruitful in our food systems. And when the U.S. government, you know, would take these lands, you know, and massacre people, like I read documents of them actually burning alive toddlers and infants, killing women and the elderly. And then some of them even talked about the parents that came back because they were starving and they had to look for food. Like the morning was horrific. It was devastating. And, you know... Like, I don't want to put, like, a bad stamp on all white people. But I think their minds were just, they were told a lot of lies about Native Native people. We were savages. You know, the Doctrine of Discovery, the Pope gave Columbus the okay to kill and to subdue all these people to kill us because we weren't human in the eyes of the Catholic Church. But just the fact, like, one thing I noticed reading these documents, there are some people like, this isn't right. This isn't right. They're less than human. This isn't right. Yep. All these killings, it's not right. A lot of deep stuff. Yeah. In fact, what was our previous question? Mm-hmm. No, that's okay. <laughs> oh, reservations and in order, you know, to... I quote to help the with the Indian problem or the Indian menace. That's when they started, like, they couldn't kill all of us. So they started killing bison. Killing bison. <laughs> and not only that, but putting us on reservations. Yeah. Which is devastating to a lot of tribes, you know, like, as a Crow Indian growing up in Montana, you know, I'm thankful that we at least got to keep a little bit of our ancestral land. Thinking about the Trail of Tears, where... The Cherokee people and the five civilized tribes, you know, they were forced hundreds of miles away from their land to a new land where they did not know the animals. They did not know the medicinal plants, the poisonous mm-hmm. plants. You know, it was just... Their whole food system was, was alien. taken away. Yep, taken away. They were alienated. And by the grace of God, you know, they're still here. Mm-hmm. Despite everything. Taking away food systems. Mm-hmm. And, like, with my tribe, you know, through this class, I learned that I'm a hunter-gatherer tribe. We hunted buffalo, elk, deer, and whatever plants that were available to us, picked berries and stuff like that. 
and just learning how the U.S. government, you know, I think we're talking about this, you know, mm-hmm. there's like good old slogan they used to say was when I mentioned the Indian menace, that's how the U.S. government portrayed us as, and that's when putting us onto reservations, killing the Indian, saving mm-hmm. the man, taking our children forcibly, who are just little babies, you know. My son is five when he was four years old last year. If he was just born 100 years earlier, he could have been taken from me. And that really makes me super sad because yeah. he's really attached to me. And if he was taken away from me, I know he wouldn't have survived and come back. Yeah. But it's devastating. Yep. You know. And then Buffalo, you know, they did mass killings of Buffalo. And another slogan for that was they said, kill every Buffalo you can. Every Buffalo dead is an Indian gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's intense. <laughs> yeah. Because not only are they going against you, but they're going against something that you... Native Americans depended on, which was the buffalo. You know, they depended on this buffalo for food systems, for clothing, for food. Yep. It was this beautiful... We used every part of the animal. Respect. Yeah. Love. And, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they killed them and left them, which is almost like a huge form of disrespect to kill an animal and just leave it. I think during that era, that's kind of when, like, the hunting became a sport. Mm-hmm. And right. that's, I think that's kind of where it's derived from, actually. Yeah. Because, like, and then it talks about the U.S. Army and, like, everyone. That's, they told everyone to do that. So yeah. people were, like, eager to round up all these buffalo and just shoot them. Yeah. This idea that hunting can be used to subdue an animal and subdue a culture mm-hmm. rather than an act of life. And yep. life, giving life, you know, mm-hmm. like ideally hunting is a way to give life to yourself and your family. Correct. And that's what me and my significant other were talking about. He's like, people make it all about sports. Even on the reservation, Native Americans mm-hmm. make it about sport. And that I think that comes from colonization, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, when I hunt, you know, it's to feed my family. I don't okay. care about the biggest like freaking elk I kill, you know. I care, like, I care about feeding my family and supporting my aunts and my mothers and my sisters and my daughters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hunting, you know, as a, as a spiritual practice. Like, is it this yes. animal's time to go? Mm-hmm. And, you know, connecting with the outside world and being like, here I am. Like, I'm here to take a deep breath in and breathe and smell the pine trees and possibly take an, Correct. an elk and or a like, deer. Even the step before that, praying that... I can take an animal's life in the most respect to feed my family. Mm -hmm. And to not overly kill, you know, so that the animals can replenish and feed our family for future generations to come. Mm -hmm. When colonialism was happening and natives were being forced onto reservations, they were being massacred, their families and tribes were being destroyed. How did that affect their food systems? Well, just going off of what I said, you know. Yeah. Kill the Indian, save the man. They almost succeeded in doing that. Yeah. And how, like, we have a lot of 
health disparities, you know, not just like within like our metabolic functions like diabetes and stuff like that. Like we have a high prevalence of alcoholism. They tried to like try like freaking genocide. Right. They tried to kill all of us. Right. They tried so hard, you know, forcing us like like I said onto reservations. Yeah. Like you hear stories about like one of our great chiefs, um like Chief Plenikoops, for instance, you know, he was there within that reservation time and Mm-hmm. You know, you hear like all these wonderful stories of like counting coup, you know, having battle against these other tribes and all these achievements and all these like good things, you know, mm-hmm. but it stopped at reservation times because when we were forced onto reservations, you know, a lot of people just said we just lived. We just survived. Yeah. Because they took all that buffalo so that stability of the food system completely yep. disappeared. And then the boarding school area, you know, my dad went to a boarding school in, on his reservation at what? Carlisle. Yeah, he went to boarding school. I asked him late in his life, I was like, did something bad happen to you? But he said, no, it was a good time. But I don't know. I don't what? think he, he wouldn't tell me anything bad that happened. But I yeah. thought that, I thought that they were long gone. I nope. thought boarding schools were done there's actually still some today like chamawa indian school you know but definitely they yeah it's still oh my god still some boarding schools but i don't think like people are being aware and obviously doing things differently i would hope you know yeah but back then it was worse you know yeah kill the indian save the man take these kids away yep don't let them speak their language chop off their hair Punish them. And a lot of these kids were punished. A lot of them were abused mm-hmm. emotionally and sexually. And a lot of them didn't make it back home because they died of a broken heart or the abuse was so extensive. Mm-hmm. In fact, I recently read an article that a lady by the name of, her last name is Small, that was doing on the Chamao Indian School. Mm-hmm. And there are hundreds of unidentified gra- unidentified graves so all the little children that died of disease or broken hearts mm-hmm. or whatever, they just buried them and didn't tell their parents mm-hmm. at all. So that's how to try to take away food systems mm-hmm. and yeah. But you know, I think to move the conversation forward, what's interesting is not only did they strip Native Americans of their culture externally, mm-hmm. but they that forced you know being forced onto reservations also caused an internal change in the microbiome mm. and in the gut yep and that's the research i the more i'm graduating the more i'm starting to look at different papers and the human gut microbiome is a relevant aspect to human health and just realizing like how bacteria outnumber us bacterial cells outnumber human cells by 10 by a factor of 10 and as you were saying earlier this microbiome of bacteria like specifically within our gut you know our gastrointestinal tract you know it plays a role in metabolism and nutrition physiology and immune function and like it is what you feed it (laughs) like I heard that saying before you are what you eat yeah and the more like you eat healthy good things you know the more like 
healthy you are, you know, and bacteria play a big role in that because they help us to digest certain certain nutrients and even give us nutrients that we don't make by ourselves. Mm. And then, so... And just the fact, you know, thinking about the gut microbiome, you know, it it is... Um, Changes within the gut microbiome has been contributed to obesity. And the thing that really caught my attention was diabetes and even mm. cancer. And just like there's a wide array of diseases and, you know, like going off of the native health disparities thing, you know, you know, like it's linked towards food. And currently there's a lot of like, there's like a lot of papers done on the human gut microbiome. But the one thing that really struck out to me was that the gut microbiome is largely shaped by observations within urban European Americans, mm. you know, like people wanting to help with native health disparities, you know, like what you said, why isn't there more, more research yeah. done, you know? Yeah. <sighs> There's just like a need of research in that's, all of these areas. Yeah, that's extremely fascinating. So you have... Native Americans whose food systems have been completely destroyed mm. by colonialism. Not only that, but their microbiome has changed because those food systems have been destroyed and never reestablished. Yes. And now you have health disparities. Yeah. And then, like, kind of thinking about your question more, you know, because, like, when you ask how does it affect food systems, like, it's just, like, all of these things, you know, but another thing, like, destroying, like, all the buffalo and even, like, the tribes who are, like, gatherers, you know, like, they gather acorns, they, like, even the Mandan Hidatsa tribes, you know, they were agriculture tribes, they planted mm. corn and Whoa. squash, you know, but when Europeans came, you know, like I said, the goal was to get gold and to, like, start a home, and a lot of it was agriculture, so the animals that they brought with them were, like, cattle. Mm. And the cattle, you know, they would intentionally, like, let them go on reservations and eat Native American food. So that was one way they led to starvation. Mm. And once they got us in this mode of starvation, you know, like Chief Lenikoop said, we just lived. We had all our, like, food systems, like, gone, you know, just like our indigenous communities, you know. And thus came the reliance on the U.S. government for food. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to commodities. <laughs> <laughs> and where fry bread came from. Yeah. You know, like everyone back home, they just love commodity cheese. And it's kind of like funny because some people are like, oh, you got commodity cheese? And they'll pay like $20 for like a brick. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, but once you like decolonize your mind a little bit you know yeah. like see the truth and the real gruesome history it's just like whoa yeah <laughs> yeah and what's interesting is it happened a hundred years ago like you said like the opportunity for you know a human body to adjust to a completely drastic change in diet yeah from going from hunter-gatherer where you're eating meat berries maybe a little bit of greens I don't know to being fed fry bread and you know now the food available on reservations it, they're food deserts right yes like there's it's a gas station right that is correct 
And so how, and those are highly processed. So there's no way, one, for the microbiome to digest or even like do anything with those foods in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And secondly, for the body to be able to metabolize those foods in the right way. That is so true. Yes. And the one when I was looking at whether there was any research done on the gut microbiome of Native Americans in 2015, which wasn't that long ago, you know, a group conducted research on the Arapaho and Cheyenne tribes. And that was the only paper that anyone's ever done on the microbiome of Native Americans. And that's interesting, too, because a lot of like what they have to look at other factors, you know, how they were eating and it showed a lot of statistics about because they had people do a food log and they were eating like a lot of high sugars like mm-hmm. pop and mm-hmm. probably McDonald's, you know, yeah. <laughs> and just right. like all these high processed foods. And as a result of that, you know, like they're missing a lot of key bacterial species, you know, that help with inflammation, anti-inflammatory yeah. like aspects. And sugar turns on those yep. inflammatory genes. Yes. They turn on and off. Um, what is it? The not the FOXO three genes, but they turn on the um, uh, cytochrome C mm. pathways, and all those inflammatory pathways are linked to sugar. Yes, <laughs> isn't that amazing? And I don't know, like I'm such a nerd. I just love learning about this stuff, and it's just like a really big eye opener. Right. One paper in 2015 that did actual gut microbiome research. On Native Americans. That's insane. And then, like, you know, and when, like, if I decide to do a research proposal on the gut microbiome, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but I think it's in this direction, you know, like, you just can't look at food because, like I said, it's not just for sustenance. And when you do research on stuff like this, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you also have to look at other factors. In, In 2015, you found one scientific paper about the gut microbiome on Native Americans. And as of now, I think probably the only one. I did hear talk of someone, like, actually here at MSU who did a gut microbiome research thing on commodities and how that affects our gut microbiome. Mm. I tried to find it and I couldn't. Maybe Mm. I'm looking in the wrong places, but but still, within, like, just the past few years, you know, nothing has been researched. Why why do you think that is? Because to me, it seems like there's such a clear tie. Like, you have what, three times the amount of diabetes in Native American populations compared to the general U.S.? Yep. And you also have, like, drastically changed microbiome, and you know there's a tie between diabetes and the microbiome. Correct. So why aren't we researching the microbiome in Native Americans? That's what I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, we're going to change the world one mind at a time, whoever listens to this podcast. Right? <laughs> like, it just seems like that's like a screaming call for research. And I think they did know because, like, we didn't we didn't adjust to, like, commodities and it wasn't, like, within the early 19th century, mm-hmm. maybe, like, 1930s era. I could be wrong, but around that area. And it wasn't until the 1960s and 1970s that medical research began to define a clear correlation between the appearance of obesity and type 2 diabetes. Mm. So they see it and they know. Yeah. But why don't they? Yeah. Right. And I think, honestly, colonialism has been ingrained in America. We were here before America. <laughs> but it's been ingrained since the beginning. And I think 
the general population, one, they don't know this information. And two, I think it's just ideas that have been passed down and passed down and why it's not important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, on top of it, you guys... I guess I guess my question now is... And then is, just, like, this... And then why it's not important, you know, it's just, like, this whole government relationship that we have plays a big factor. Indian Health Services. Last spring, I took a research ethics course, and at the end, we had to do a PowerPoint prese- presentation, why we have to study like why ethics and moral conduct are important to research Mm -hmm. we studied like the nazi era and it's just horrible like reading the actual documentation of what happened to like all that population Mm -hmm. and i remember telling my mom i was like oh man this is horrible how can people be so inhumane and let these poor people suffer Mm -hmm. and she's like you know they did a lot of that stuff to native americans too it's like what yeah. So for my topic, I wanted to do something that I never knew about. And one of them, like my topic was the forced sterilization of Native, Native American women in IHS health settings where, mm-hmm. again, you know, like in the 1970s, they forcibly sterilized Native Americans as young as like 15 years old who went in for appendicitis, sterilized them mm-hmm. to help solve the Indian problem again. And I think the paper that I was reading, there was another aspect to where they were, like, using, like, testing out medications on Native American children. And maybe it's just the fact that we have such a dark history and and the government doesn't want to, like, bring these up. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They kind of just want to, like, hide Because they're going to have to be accountable for all these horrible things that were done on Native American tribes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I think. Maybe wrong. Maybe I have a lot of haters and like as a result of studying this stuff, but I don't know. Well, I think what's <laughs> I think what's been done is atrocious. Yep. And I think you can only lie for so long before the truth comes out. Mm-hmm. You know, and hopefully there's some method of restitution. You know, hopefully, like, life isn't fair, but I feel like that's not a a good enough answer. I feel like that's not a good enough explanation for, you know, what has happened and what is continuing to be happened or continuing to happen. You know, like, if anything, this is a call for research and a call for Native American health to become a priority. Yes. So I remember meeting Sherman Alexi, and then he talked about, I think he was talking about alcohol and drug abuse, like the high prevalence of it, but, you know, like in regards to health, you know, because that's a big part of like all the diseases, chronic diseases that, you know, are affecting families everywhere, like within this past week, you know, like to my knowledge, there's like four people that passed away on the reservation. And it's a lot for me because the death of my father, I understand that hurt. And I understand that pain, and when someone passes back home, you know, it affects everybody in an unhealthy way, you know. And what Sherman Alexi was talking about, how we carry this historical post-traumatic stress syndrome, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I believe it's within our genes genetically, you know, like, we carry it, everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, and 
when he talks about reservation era, the boarding school era, and just like all these massacres and atrocities that were done to indigenous people, you know, like there's this one meme that I see, you know, like as Native Americans, you know, we can transform our trauma into triumph. And, you know, I'm just one person that, you know, I hope I make a, I hope like I inspire my community you know, but but by doing this podcast, you know, and decolonizing my mind through like mm-hmm. all these awesome classes, you know, I hope that I can inspire another person, teach another person, and they will keep teaching people. And that the more that we're aware of these problems, you know, that the more we draw more towards a solution. Mm. I don't think it's going to be like this forever. Mm. Yeah, because alcoholism, you know, it destroyed my life. You know, I couldn't go to college. I graduated the bottom half of my high school class. You know, it was real stuff. But the fact that I'm able to surrender back then, going back to my traditional cultural values and stuff like that, you know, I know other people can do it too. Mm-hmm. So there is hope. <laughs> it's horrible. It's like taking off a really ugly, horrible Band-Aid, you know, but I think that's how we heal. Mm -hmm. Turning our trauma into triumph. I love that saying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's really like, I feel like trauma is a two-sided coin. Mm -hmm. Either you can choose to be a victim to it or Mm -hmm. you can use it to galvanize you and propel you further in life towards, towards triumph. Like, I'm a mother mother of two children. I'm going to get my degree in microbiology and immunology. You are. And just. <laughs> yeah, you're incredible. Less than two weeks, you know. <laughs> but just, like, you know, it's not yeah. all me, you yeah. know. But it's not impossible. Yeah, it's not impossible. And that's what I hope to convey to people. And my next education step, you know, academia, I want to do research like this that will benefit my community, that will benefit you know, not just, like, my children, you know, I feel like just my community back home Mm -hmm. and other natives everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And hopefully you guys get, you know, hopefully a food system can be reestablished through that as well. I think there are a lot of people that are looking into stuff like this. Like, I recently read an article of a guy who lost, like, hundreds of pounds just by converting back to indigenous food system, you know, like eradicating diabetes in his life, losing a lot of weight, and it was going back to his traditional food systems. Yeah, wow. My last question for you is, if there's one thing someone can do to, you know, change their life for the better, what do you think that would be? Or a couple of things that people can do? Go back to our traditional roots. Traditional food systems. It's not just sustenance. It's cultural. It's spiritual. It's about community. They try to colonize our people. They try to kill everybody. But the main thing that connected us was our resilience in our community. Going back to our traditional way of thinking. Mm. 
Does that make sense? Definitely makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for spending time and sitting down and sharing your knowledge. I really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you for even <laughs> wanting to help me. Yeah, of course. <laughs>